What's up, everyone? It's Albert again. And John. And we're here with my good friend, Sohaib. So, hey, Sohaib, how's it going? Uh, would you be able to introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah. Uh, my name is Sohaib, Sohaib Alimari. I'm a medical doctor. I graduated med school a long, long time ago. Well, not that long, 2014. And I've been working, well, not necessarily in the clinic, but different parts of the medical field ever since I graduated med school. I moved to the States around the same time I graduated med school. So I've been here for about, what, seven, seven and a half, eight years now. Nice. Okay, so, um, yeah, that's uh, thanks for the great uh, quick introduction. Um, let's see. Well, uh, in, the, in the previous episode, Albert and I were just talking about why we went to med school and dental school and what, so, what some of our challenges were. Uh, both of us, we don't have any members of our family that are actually practicing physicians or dentists. Um, just wondering if that's the same situation for you. Oh, well, to be completely honest with you, the, when I got into medicine, it was it, there wasn't much of a choice involved. It was kind of like a family heritage thing because I have a lot of doctors in the family. My father is a doctor. My mother is a doctor. My uncles are doctors. Their wives are doctors. My brother is a doctor. My sister is a farm. She went into pharmaceuticals or whatever, but we forgive her. But uh, yeah, that's basically that's basically why I'm in the field. It's like, you know, carry on the family. Let me stop heritage. you there. How many Lamborghinis so, do you own? How many Lamborghinis? Uh, well, we kind of like categorize them by color. So we've got like a, a garage for the blue Lamborghinis, one for the red Lamborghinis, one for the... So which one? Oh, red ones, sure. Red I, ones? I love red Lamborghinis, you know? Oh, the red... <laughs> well, unfortunately, being a doctor in Iraq, which is where my family is right now, is not as lucrative as it mm -hmm. is to be a doctor anywhere else in the world. And such is the case for, you know, third world countries. It's it's a lot of responsibility, a lot of work, but, you know, the pay is... It's, it's, it's not much, okay. to be honest. Yeah, but so that's why you know I got into medical school. It's uh, it's 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 it was it was the the only thing oh, to do. Okay. Basically. Yeah. Did you have any pressure from your family to kind of carry the torch? Oh so yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There was no like there was no there was no hey sit down son let's talk about what you want to do. You know what I mean? It was all like so the way it is in Iraq is you graduate high school and we have like a, a what we call a baccalaureate exam a baccalaureate exam is like this one big exam you take at the end of high school and it determines what colleges you're eligible for so yeah kind of have, like the sat it's kind of like the sats basically yeah but but there is what comes after is kind of like an automated process of hey you you pick your favorite like 100 colleges and 100 specialties in the country and it's kind of like a lottery type of thing and you you know the government decides which college you're going to go into and so you just pick a list of 100 colleges this was like 100 or 200 colleges and so you know i just put med school all different med schools in iraq and i put them one by one and then i got accepted into kind of the oldest medical school in iraq that we have it's the university of baghdad Co mm. college of medicine if, if anyone's heard of it which i doubt i mean baghdad's a pretty well known <laughs> I'm pretty sure some <laughs> might have heard of it <laughs> but so yeah. then, so immediately after high school, that's not something that you can see in the United States or in Canada. I know Korea they used has to, actually. that. I don't think they um, do it anymore. I, I heard that they still mm -hmm. do, but I might be wrong. I don't know. I honestly don't really give a shit. But yeah. um, 
So if you go from high school to med school, I think that's kind of an experience that not many people will have. Um, I guess, first of all, how many years is so med school is typically four years, as most people would think about? Yeah. Well, no, we have. So I, I think what our is like an old British type of course, I think it's six years. So you finish high school, you go into a six year school where the first kind of couple of years you're studying pre-med stuff, you know, anatomy, micro like biology, biochemistry, all that type of things. And then years three, four, five, six, that's like the proper medical, you know, mm. education. You know, you study internal medicine, you study surgery, you study all that stuff. But it's like a kind of a an all-in-one six-year course. That's what it is. So then what, what, what happens if like... So I remember in high school, there were so many people that wanted to become a doctor, but then they had yeah. to go through a four-year undergraduate program. Yeah. And what, during the undergraduate program, a lot of people found that they have other interests besides be becoming a medical doctor. Some went into yeah. research, some just totally left medical sciences and went into like finance or something. Um, in your case, what if you go from high school to med school and somewhere along the middle, like, damn, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, well, the, 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 one of the downsides of going straight into med school, straight out of, you know, high school is you're not really mature enough to understand what's going on in your life. You really aren't like you're 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 you becoming a doctor at the age of 24, like a full fledged doctor. I think it's a little ridiculous. I think you're still not mature enough to handle the responsibility even. People are different, some are more mature than others, but generally I think, at least my experience is, you know, I, 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 was, I was a child really when I was in med school. That's number one. Number two is uh, we see, if you're from a third world country, especially a country like Iraq, where we don't put so much weight on things like interests and what you want, because the country as it is right now, there is no employment. The only sure-fired way to get employed is if you're in the medical field. So if you're a doctor, a dentist, a pharmacist, once you finish high school, the government will place you somewhere. And once you finish med school, they'll place you in a hospital, a clinic, or whatever. So your employment is guaranteed after med school. So I find I'll, I'll be hard pressed to find a student who goes into med school into a comfortable future, guaranteed future, and then think, you know what, I'm not interested in this. No, no, kind of life kind of makes you, forces you down the path. So there is no decision, decision process. Once you're into med school, that's it. There is no one cares basically what your interests are. No one cares what you're, you know, I can, I can only imagine that kid going back after two years in med school, he goes home, he sits down, has dinner with the family and he's like, mom, dad, I have some important news to tell you. I have decided not to finish med school. They would just kick him out like right there and then. Like, what, what are you talking? What, what do you, what, what do you mean you're not interested? Shut up. Bringing shame it. to the family. Yeah, exactly. Like, shame on you for shame. No, you go into med school and you finish. So it's like, it's kind of like a, it's it's a set path. Especially if you score high in that SAT equivalent exam and you go into med school, it's you, you a lot of people are just thankful to have a sure career path. Basically, that's what it is. 
So then the cultural differences actually help in that sense, where uh, what the culture doesn't really, I guess, endorse people to pursue their interests. Yeah. In Iraq, no, compared to here, where it's you know most most parents are. I mean, I would imagine most parents would be saying to their kids, "Oh yeah, do what you want, like whatever makes you happy." Yeah. Right. Yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. stuff doesn't exist there. I'll, I'll actually tell you a story about my friend. Uh, he, you know, I told you like once you're done with the. You, you got your exam, you got your grades, then you have to like list the top 200 colleges that you want to go into and the specialties. And he was, he was so into, he wanted to be an architect. That was his thing. Straight out of high school, he's like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna become an architect. And his father sat him down before they, he like filled up the list and he's like, listen son, I love you and I want the best for you and I want you to do whatever you think is best for you. But if you put anything other than med school on that list, you're not my son and I don't want you and you should get out of the house. And so he just, he's like, well, where's the choice? And what you just told me you love me. And you can, he's like, you can do whatever you want as long as it's going to med school. As long as that's what you want, you can do whatever you want. And so that's basically, there's no, there's no kind of much of a choice. But what I know is, and what my, some of my friends did. So I had a friend who was really into computers and, you know, whatever he wanted to become a computer scientist and so what he did is he actually finished med school he did his rotations and then he applied for he did like a four-year degree in com computer science after finishing his Damn. med school and so that's, oh so yeah, just yeah, so that he doesn't after, shape so, the family yeah yeah so they're like okay, yes he's a doctor it, yes now that you have your thing that we want yeah sure you can go do whatever the thing that you want as a side gig basically how do you feel about hearing that, Albert? I know that's like a little very like it's, it's a huge it's a culture huge shock. Difference yeah. to, I mean, because yeah. to be honest, like I've heard very similar stories of it. You know, I think our parents' generations were the same thing too. Like the only way to get like, um, I mean, Korea. Our parents' generation was post Korean War, so like a lot of people were going into like medicine because wherever you go, doctors and nurses, dentists um, are always needed, and then. Just hearing that it kind of, even though it happened to you, what, 20, not even like 20 years ago, like 10, 15 years ago, like, it sounds like something like my parents would tell me when I, when I was younger about how a lot of them were like kind of forced on that path as well. And it's kind of like a culture shock there. So uh, for me, I'm not, I am, I can't say I'm totally surprised. It could be because I've uh, heard similar stories before. Um, but the one, the, one question that popped into my mind so doctor being a doctor in iraq is considered one of the best or if not the best job the absolute top of the line this the 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 apex of society is like you'll have no problem getting married you'll have no no problem no, no. you are you are like a god amongst mortals if you're a doctor oh. that's what it is yeah well well i mean well, recently, if time allows, I'll talk a little bit about how doctors are being treated right now. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Were, typically, typically, as things were like used to be, as a doctor. So especially if you go to, I, I keep remembering the story my my uncle told me. So if you go to like a very distant village type of place, right, where there's like 500 people, right, that's the whole, that's your whole community. Doctors are actually not just doctors in those communities. They're like community mm. leaders. They're like decision makers in that community. They're like have you heard politicians. Of the term? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so without really being elected politicians, they're like, you know, an alderman. An alderman is like an unelected, mm -hmm. unofficial leader of the community that gets to make decisions, like is involved in the decision making. And that's how doctors used to be. And that's how my uncle used to be. He used to be in one of those like small clinic, like up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. And anything that had to do with, you know, the, a big decision that had to be decided that involved the village, uh, he was always asked, oh, what do you think? So what is your opinion? And his opinion was always like seen in high, high regard, basically. So doctors are more than just really just, you know, physicians there. They're like, it's more than just a job. It's, it's a status thing, really, in Iraq. I think that's the case too. And like everywhere in the world, you know, once they hear you're a doctor, that's, oh, he's a doctor, right? But more so in third world countries. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know about America. I, I don't feel the same way um, with what you just said. Like, if you say you're a doctor, most people are like, eh. Eh. <laughs> okay. Eh. Okay. You know, like they've, it, yeah. uh, at least in America, because of, uh, uh, you know, you have Silicon Valley and all these, like, oh, the crazy uh, advancements that we have going on in tech and all the different startups and people making millions and billions of dollars from selling their startup company if it's actually yeah. it's actually successful um yeah. yeah it doesn't seem like doctors are too uh, you know it, it's they're not targeted by a lot of people in terms of uh well i don't know why i keep thinking of relationships maybe because i'm longing for one but <laughs> but yeah it doesn't seem like if, if i if i meet a girl and i and then i i don't fully disclose it because i personally don't care but if they ask yeah. what do you do and i'm like i tell them and then they say okay what like what do you do before that and i tell them they're like okay well whatever right yeah it seems I like think, it's a dime a dozen here and no one really cares yeah i think i think it's more of a thing back in our societies like you meant you mentioned in korea before and there's actually a lot of similarities between middle eastern you know Parented, parenting and, and, and right. Korean yeah. parenting. They're all Asian. They're all, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all like, it's it's so weird that it's it's the same thing. But yeah, it seems more so in like third sec like world countries or countries like Korea that are now becoming more kind of catching up with the times and becoming more advanced. And, be, you know, it's a practically a first world country now, right? But it's yeah. still, they still have that mentality of, you know, doctors above all else and i think yeah. part of it like the relationship thing i think when a girl hears you're a doctor immediately she thinks oh he's gonna be busy he's gonna have no time for me and he's gonna whatever yeah I think that's that the western on... that's the western style of thinking yeah the western yeah. mentality that i think that's part of it is like oh he's just gonna have no time for me at all uh, yeah, but so then like, you have the other end of the spectrum where it's like, you know, I don't care if he has no time for me. He's gonna be making the money. The money, yeah, right? yeah. He's so making the paper. <laughs> there's that. Uh, I know, I know. Albert has a lot of stuff to say about relationships <laughs> and, uh, and doctors. So I'll let I'll let him chime in and share his piece. I mean, okay. Yeah. So when you moved, did you move directly to New York, at, like from Iraq? Okay. So when yeah. you first got here, um, so are you currently dating right now? So yes. how did, are you like long time, like a long, is it like a long term relationship or has it been like relatively short? It, three years. Three years. Three years. So I think, so, yeah, it could be. It, I mean, I think yeah. for me, anything longer than, or, yeah, I mean, anything over a month is long. No, term, what? Yeah, uh, no, guess, over. Yeah, no. no, it is anything over a month. <laughs> well, in the pandemic times, I guess before pandemic times, I guess one year, but yeah, long three years. Well, um, 
when you first got to the U.S., like, how did you meet people? Like, was it in the school setting or was it like, um, I don't know. I mean, we, I mean, John and I both use, both use dating apps in New York City because that honestly was the only way we could actually meet people. Oh, so Habe knows all about that. <laughs> 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 well, to be honest with you, for me, I didn't, I never was into the mm-hmm. dating scene in New York because when I came to New York, I already had like, I was, and I think John remembers, I was already in a long-term relationship with my girlfriend from mm-hmm. back home. And I, I use the term girlfriend loosely, but you know, however you want to, however you want to, what, whatever, basically, name Destined you want to marriage partner. Is, yeah, so it's, yeah. We, we had been together for, you know, like three years back home. And then for two years, we maintained that long distance thing mm-hmm. going on. And so I just really, it, and then it didn't work out. So I wasn't, I wasn't one of those guys who like goes out and meets people and tries to get into the dating thing. So I just kind of kept to myself until I met my current girlfriend, which was thanks to the person I'm facing right now, the, the person whose face is occupying my screen right now. So it was kind of like through him that I met my current girlfriend and, and, and I've been with her for three years. But what I wanted to bring up really is a, a question, if I may. Uh, I my question is if do you feel as it not mm-hmm. to cut you off but do you feel as a medical professional that you would prefer dating someone who is also in the medical field or would you date would you rather or have you you've had enough of the medical field and when you want to go back home you want to find someone who is completely outside of that circle? oh actually that's that's, that's a good not, question that's, yeah. that's interesting because we had that we had that conversation Albert you, um, you can go first I think so when I was actually in dental school you know I, I was like lost in my studies and I was like, y- you do like you see patients and you're just like, you know what? I want to meet someone who doesn't know what I do so that whenever I talk about my work, cause it's going to come up, it's going to seem interesting. Right. Well, fi- like fast forward four years after dental school, I, I realized if I talk about like any of the work that I do, people are just like, okay, I mean, that, that's cool. Oh, you, you did a crown. That's cool. Oh, you took out a tooth? Oh, you took out a wisdom tooth? Oh, that's cool. Oh, you restored an implant? Oh, you placed an implant? That's cool. And then as I slowly started, I mean, I when I um, was dating my ex, who was actually a classmate of mine, I kind of realized, you know, it's actually nice for me to have someone who's in the like health field because dealing with patients requires a certain type of mentality and having someone who understands that. Like they're very sensitive towards that topic and they're very accepting. That's what I like most because I think in New York, I went on dates with doctors too and nurses too, and they were the ones I vibed most well with. I always thought that I would get along most with like fashion designers and like art, uh, like art students or like music school students. And those were actually like the worst matches for me. Like those girls, like we'd be on like this frequency, like, and then the other frequency, I don't know if you can see my hands, but we would just never like be in sync and it would never work out. And like oh like for example uh, i don't want to drone too long but i was dating this girl and i had to diagnose a patient with uh, oral cancer like squamous cell carcinoma and it uh, long story short she was actually the mother-in-law of someone that i knew so i was like freaking out like i joined dentistry because i didn't want to be dealing with death and then the perception like she this is her third time getting cancer i believe um and i was like I was in my head a lot. I was like, man, this is really fucked up that I have to do this. And <clears throat> I was, I think uh, when I got home, I was, uh, I went over to my ex's, uh, my ex, 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 whatever, my first girlfriend's place. And I was, I was fucking crying. I was just like, shit, I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling. 
And the first thing she said to me is, you know, people live and they die. You just kind of have to deal with it. And I was just like, what? That That's not, I don't think that's a normal response. But she literally called me like um, in Korean, kijibe, like, that, how, what does it translate to English? Uh, yeah, a bitch. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, I think that was, um, that was a. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I understand. Like if you're, if you're dating someone who like, like categorically doesn't understand what you're talking about, that, that could be a little bit of a problem. So it's hard to find commonalities. Like I, I get that from one point. It's like, oh yeah, well we speak the same mm -hmm. language basically, you know? If I say something like whatever, like mesothelioma, she's not gonna look me in the eye with like a blank look. Like, what you? What you call me? What? It's like, what you? What you call my mother? Like, no. It's like, so yeah, there has to be like a back and forth. But what? What do you think, John? Like, do you think it's better to like just step back from the whole thing when it comes to your personal life and just talk about how beautiful the flowers are and that that's sufficient, or should you have like more technical conversations with someone? I mean, the way you kind of asked that question, it makes me feel like I have to answer it in a way. But you know, you know my history, right? You know my history. I've, I know, yeah, yeah. I've pretty much only dated people that were not in the medical field. Pretty much. All of my previous relationships were people that were not in the medical field. Um, I see people that are in the same hospital or classroom as me, and I don't know, like, it's to me, at least, the people that I was surrounded by, the women that I was surrounded by, uh, that was in the healthcare setting, all they seem to do is talk about work, work, work. Like, patient, patient, patient. Ah, okay, they are not, not talking about patients. It's a you know, hip yeah. violation. But they're talking about, like, you know, certain condition and how to manage it and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, stop. So I like to, I wanted to find someone that I can talk about other things with. Someone that I can just escape to another world. So like when I'm at work, I'm one version of myself. And then when I'm not at work, I am another version of myself. Uh, the version that, you know, I'm more comfortable being. Yeah. Um, so that's why I always ended up dating people that were not in the medical field. And, you know, did it work out? Not all the time. Probably. I mean, look at me now. Like, like, well, clearly it didn't, but... Do, do, do you think people in the medical field are a little emotionally desensitized, so to speak? It depends on the person. I think it depends yeah. on the person. I know some people really get, uh, like, for example, um, there are pediatric oncologists, right? The, yeah. If you yeah, look yeah, at yeah, pediatric yeah. oncologists, they're, they're very, it's like, it's, it's, the spectrum's wide. You have people who are extremely emotional, and pediatric oncology is horrible. Like, you're watching innocent kids who have cancer and most likely gonna die, yeah. right? Yeah. So, it's sad. A lot of people keep it bottled up and then they have outbursts of emotion. Uh, other people just, they kind of get used to it. Uh, even after like 15, 20 years of practice, like I heard it doesn't really change. If, if that's how you are, then you know, you can, you're good at not showing the emotions to the patients, not showing the emotions on a regular basis. You get better at controlling it, but it's, it's kind of gets bottled up and eventually it explodes. On the other hand, you have kind of, uh, I would say borderline sociopathic kind of behavior where, Okay, that's that's. A, I, I apologize if I offended anyone, but you know you don't have emotions. Like you're you're seeing all these kids dying. You're just like, okay, next. Yeah. Like you know, area on the ground day song. It's like thank you, 
<laughs> Sorry, I can't. I, yeah. I have coded voice, okay? So, okay. so thank you, next. Um, yeah. Obviously, they're not saying thank you, um, but, you know, they just, they're just moving on. It's, it's like they're a programmed robot to just diagnose, right. treat, manage, and then go on to the next patient. So I would say yes and no. Uh, was I desensitized? Uh, no, I don't think I was completely desensitized, but did it get easier a little bit? So, yeah, I don't I don't really know how to answer that question, but yeah. Well, well I just want one more question. I don't want to I don't want to ask too many questions, but I'm well, you really can curious. ask as many as you want. I'm really curious to know this now that like I have two people who are in the medical field, you know, and I, I get to ask these questions. Basically, do you think in your honest opinion, do you think empathy is important well not important that's not empathy is important but do you think empathy is necessary so can you treat a patient without empathy successfully i think that's a better question are you okay so like in order to better understand the question um i would think empathy is always required to treat a patient but i yes. think what you're trying to ask is whether it's, it's like true empathy or yeah. kind of learned empathy Okay, so so okay. Let me rephrase the question. Let's say the patient you never met them in person, right? Yeah. They're a name on a paper. Mm -hmm. You have their history. You have their complaints. You have their everything. Like some some poor medical student had to sit with this with the patient for an hour, do all the examination, get all the history, get so without developing any rapport, without actually sitting down in a room with the patient just by looking at all the data in front of you do you think you you can be you are able to successfully accurately treat the patient it's just a hypothetical like it's i a think hypothetical. i think it is possible i think uh, if in a hypothetical situation where you knew where you know all the information possible to make the to provide yeah. the best treatment for the patient yeah. without actually having the patient encounter yeah. um yeah, I think it's possible. I think it would be yeah. possible. Empathy is only important when you're actually facing the patient, I think. If you're okay. not seeing the patient, I mean, it's just words yeah, yeah. on the paper. Yeah, so we were talking about like a, a, a lab, you know, environment where you have all the data that you need to yeah. treat the patient, just like you said. So you think it is possible. So I think that... it would be possible, yes. But if, yeah. if you're facing the patient, if you're having any sort of interaction with the patient, whether it's like, you know, even through a telephone call yeah. or virtually or in person, I think empathy becomes quite important, yeah. but if you're not seeing them, no, a robot could do it pretty good. Pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. because that was that was gonna be my next question. So, what do you what do you think? Do you think robots are taking over our jobs? They took our jobs. Uh, I don't <laughs> think robots can fully take away the job. Uh, I I know, like we, I think we talked about this a little while ago, like maybe a few years back, but uh, I yeah. think robots are helping, and I know that there are people that are um, programming AI to read radiographic images to make accurate diagnoses right so yeah it's gonna it might decrease the number of jobs because you don't need as many radiologists for example if you have you know machines doing it even now because radiographs are viewed virtually and not on that you know film paper like they used to a long time ago you can send those over to a lot like cheaper countries uh, i know that some hospitals they send it over to china or they send it over to india and then they get the first reading done by a radiologist there and then they get the you know they get the notes sent back to the hospital and they have their in-house radi radiologist kind of just go over and make sure everything's fine 
right? Yeah. That way you can reduce the number of volume. Uh, you, I mean, you, you reduce the amount of work that one doctor has to do. Uh, therefore, you don't need as many radiologists. So, yeah, it's it's not taking over jobs per se. Like, we're not going to get totally replaced, but we, I think it will decrease the number with AI improving. Mm. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Because yeah. remember, I had my, fr my, my friend, Hamad, he's a radiologist yeah. from Mount Sinai. Yeah. And I asked him the same question. And I like his, his question was, his answer was like to the point. He just said, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> you know, actually, um, AI, instead of like actual surgeries or anything like analysis, um, in dentistry, it's actually becoming really popular too. Like, like intraoral scanners. When we do like scans of teeth for like, or like implants, we can, the computer will automatically detect, oh, this is a certain implant company, this diameter by this length, it'll actually start to detect that. And then, but there's always that little room for error. So like there, there's a lot of focus on that digital aspect. I mean, that's one aspect that I, I'm actually studying and using in my own like clinical sense too. But there's so many variables, especially if let's say you do the, like treatment plan digitally, you do the actual surgery or you do any type of modification based on the digital like um, parameters you set up, yes, it will be more predictable and accurate, but not every case is a cut and paste case. It's, um, it's. I mean, for example, my boss does freehand surgery when others do like guided surgery. If you do like uh, any type of uh, digital like computer like software on that, it's not gonna be always 100% accurate. And that's that's the whole problem with the, the whole, like the concept of it, because it's not working right now, especially for some majority of cases. I, I actually think that, so the way that machine learning or AI, AI has all these different sub branches, right? And you have like deep learning as well and like machine learning and all that stuff. So, so if the program or the algorithm for this AI was designed in a way that it takes in all like, as, I, I know so much data, let's say it has like a million different data samples of different images of this one thing I, I i'm not a dentist so i can't think of the exact thing but um let's say it's like one crown issue i don't know pick, pick an issue of your flavor <laughs> of the week and it has like a it has a million data sets on that a million different ones then i would think the number of data sets it has to learn about it the more accurate it's going to become so with time this thing is getting smarter and smarter and what happens to people like people they don't i mean we do get smarter and smarter over time but then again we deteriorate right so we have like this bell curve shape for our intelligence and memory so i think at some point if you overlap the two graphs you're gonna have this you know kind of like exponentially rising curve for ai's learning rate and then you're gonna have this bell curve distribution of humans right yeah. right so eventually after some time like Right now, maybe it's not that great, but right now, AI, that shit's a baby. Yeah. I mean, AI right. has made a huge so, jump. I mean, I remember when I first heard about digital dentistry, it was probably like when I was like in eighth grade, so like 2007, 2008. And then like people were like talking about it. it's like it's the next go to thing. And then companies were promoting like they're pumping that stuff out like to every office. They're going around. It was called Sarek at the time. And they were saying, like, you buy one of these, your office is going to save so much on overhead costs. You're going to make a lot of money. It worked until they realized, oh, wait, it actually doesn't work. Crowns are failing because the material sucks and the scans weren't perfect. And then everything went into overhaul. Korea started using it. They started making their own scanners. Um, it's getting better, 
the software is getting faster, but accuracy, I feel like it's kind of stagnant. It's been stagnant since I think like 2016, 15, around that time. What do you think about, so like, I guess, so that that, that thing that you're just talking about right now, what, what did you say it was called? It was Cerec. Cerec? S-E, uh, sorry, C-E-R-E-C. C, okay, so Cerec, that thing, it also does, it does procedures as well or so just, it just reads so they call like, it like it's the it's basically the cad part of cad cam and then you get a different machine to mill the crown out of like a solid block of like porcelain oh so okay okay so it actually does the procedure well itself. you prep the tooth and then you scan it interesting because that, that was i was just gonna ask about that because we were talking about like you know graphical image detection or radiographical mm-hmm. image detection or whatever from ai yeah. i was gonna say like what about you know like dentists Dentists are a lot of hands-on. Surgeons are hands-on. Uh, not so much for orthopedics. I think uh, you're gonna need like a giant, like, like not like a Wally little robot, but you're gonna need one of those giant, like, what, what was that? What was that movie? I, I, I should have. Hero I Six. Should've, That's what, the balloon guy. I had a picture of my father's tools at home. You know, he's an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. And he has these, like, a box of tools. It's like a, it's like a, it's like he saws looks like and a serial killer. hammers <laughs> and nails and it's like. It's like a, you know that movie mm-hmm. Saw. Yeah. It's like it's like that was in our living room, like a box in the corner. It's like, Dad, what is this stuff? It's like, oh, this is stuff that I don't use anymore. It's Does amazing. he sometimes yeah. wear a green T-shirt at night and then yeah, just yeah, yeah. Like, like, like a mask and has like a little <laughs> tricycle and he leaves. Dad, where are you going? <laughs> don't worry about it, son. <laughs> yeah, so no, it's like, I I think I think for like, for that definitely AI cannot, but for you know smaller surgeries um like dentists they work with teeth mm-hmm. teeth are pretty small or you know if you're doing you know an appendectomy removing yeah. appendicitis uh, for an appendicitis like you're just removing the appendix i feel like for those kind of surgeries eventually robots not i mean they wouldn't be able to do it on their own i think human guided and right now you know like human guided there are these there are these videos i haven't like followed it too too much but you know they have these like controls from the like outside of this OR room they're just kind of controlling it but later on what if it's like they just hit a few keyboard keys on the keyboard and then it programs in a certain way and the robot just does it by itself then do we actually even so need actually purchase? about this aspect I think I think it's not gonna work oh sorry did I interrupt you no, uh, no, 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 um, no. whenever we do type of surgical procedure you got to look for what's called fiducial markers so fiducial markers or fiduciary mm-hmm. markers are basically like you can use like C, like you know. Do you guys have you guys ever used uh, the Beakley CT scan markers? They're little like uh, they're little buttons that you attach onto like tissue, and when you do a CT scan, it'll actually pick it up, and then you can like render it into a STL file and merge it to like. Um, well, you can it helps your treatment plan. Up to until that stage, it works, but then when you do actual surgery, a machine will not be able to recognize certain features. Let's say, because. Honestly, if you're doing any type of soft tissue, like soft tissue mani- is manipulable, you, it moves around, and mm-hmm. there's no AI will be smart enough to detect it so accurately compared to what uh, like clinicians do with their hands. I think, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's no, I can definitely see that. I can definitely see what, that. What, what about the non-surgical aspect of medicine then? Something like internal medicine, or something like psychiatry. What, oh, I don't think that will ever, ever I be... I think psychiatry is the one specialty that is safe from ai <laughs> yeah right like yeah. i don't think you like 100 a machine can
you know, even even well, even internal medicine. Like, if you feed a machine, oh well, these are the most common symptoms of someone who has Crohn's disease. These are the most common symptoms of someone who has so and so disease. These are. The, can you and then feed the computer symptoms and then the the AI can come up with a diagnosis? Or are are we going to end up with something like Mayo Clinic, where everything you write down like tells you? <laughs> I think that's called WebMD. <laughs> that's called WebMD. <laughs> Uh, WebMD, yes, not Mayo. Yeah, WebMD, exactly. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sneezing. <laughs> cancer, cervical cancer. Like, but I'm just sneezing. It's like, do you think, do you think AI will get like at, at a at a certain point where you can just feed it data like symptoms and like maybe like chronological progress of the disease state in the patient, and then it's gonna be able to tell you, oh, this is this disease, and this is the recommended course of treatment. Um, for internal medicine, I can see where that may come into play, but. You know, there's a huge component of subjective anal- uh, subject subjective assessments, right? I don't yeah. think AI can do that at least just yet, maybe never. But um, for psych, so for internal medicine, yes, it's possible because you have these objective assessments where you have actual symptoms that you can like yeah. that the patient can report and everything. For patients like. Psychi- uh, if a if a patient if a psych uh, psychiatric patient comes into the hospital and says, "I have grandiose delusions." <laughs> no, no one's gonna say that to you, right? You just hear him speak, and yeah. okay, that guy has grandiose, like he's he's you know he's having grandiose delusions. He's doing all this stuff. Maybe he has like you know maybe maybe he's manic, a manic episode, or it's like you know yeah. what's going on. Um, yeah, you don't know if it's bipolar. Like you have no idea, right? But for internal medicine, it's a bit different. So for psych, no, I don't think it'll ever be able to replace it because robots will not be able to ask the right questions. They won't be able to differentiate all those unique situations that the mind can create for each individual and be able to say like oh this is definitely this or this might maybe this even humans were just like i think it's that most likely and then okay but if you're putting if you're inputting it so let's say you're just i don't know let's say you're a trained psychiatrist and then you you're recording it down in your medical notes in the system and then there's an ai programmed in it and it just pops up the diagnosis for you then guess what you don't you like didn't even have to go to med school like what the fuck are you doing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically. so so basically yeah so i guess that brings us back to learned empathy so you know ais can learn empathy and they can learn but they can't really you know understand all aspects of humanity to the point where they can diagnose a psychological ailment basically yeah. right so i don't i don't think yeah. that's possible either yeah i don't think it i mean but do you enjoy so if if a doctor was empath if you if you had a doctor who was empathetic and you had another yeah. doctor who was not empathetic, but the yeah. empathetic doctor is you know like let's if we had to rate them from zero to ten, zero being super shit doesn't know anything will probably give you yeah. you'll probably get worse. For yeah. ten, he'll just you know he'll know right away, give you the best management and all this stuff. So let's say you have a a doctor who's empathetic, but is like around five. Like he's he's not working at the best hospital. He's yeah. you know he's not really super knowledgeable. He doesn't he doesn't keep up to date with anything. His people skills are very good. He's very like emotionally in touch and kind of yeah. really understands what you're going through. Um, puts yeah. you emotionally at ease, at the very least. Or yeah. you have another doctor who zero empathy. He's like a robot, right? He doesn't yeah. understand anything you're going through. Like you could be telling him like like your whole family just died and you're the only one left, uh, yeah. and he's just gonna be like. Okay, so what can I do for you today? Right? He just doesn't <laughs> give a shit. But yeah. he knows what he's doing. He's on top of the yeah. thing. He's like, you know, nation's top 
20 it's called it house house um, MD right there yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like house yeah, empty yeah, yeah. which one would you choose okay so to be honest with you up until two years ago three years ago maybe i would have said uh I pref- I would have like unequivocally immediately without thinking I would have said fuck empathy like who am I getting treated or not like I'm getting better right so who cares if you know if he said oh you have a boo boo oh let me make it better for you like who cares right as uh-huh. long as he's giving me the right medication and he's treating me and I'm up and running so so why not right and I think that's kind of that that point of view a lot of people who are in the you know who have a science background where we're all guilty of it where we're all like result oriented we're like mm. the big picture we look at the big picture so what no matter what happens like the small minute details we got to the point there is data to prove that this doctor is a good doctor end of story but now i don't know man i th- i think this has to do with the whole relationship thing too because i've been told i've been told that i'm an emotional robot so many emotionless times emotionless robot probably emotionless right? yeah emotionless <laughs> robot like i'm i'm an emotional inf- whatever you want to call it you know right emotional infantile yeah yeah it's like it's, i'm like huh you know what maybe yeah maybe there is there is a role a bit a bit of a you know i know they they say okay well you know psychologically if you feel better psychologically that has you know a positive effect on the outcome of your disease and all that stuff yes given that but right now i honestly i'm leaning more towards yes i would rather have a doctor who yes he's not exactly the greatest of physicians around but he smiles at me every now and then as long as he doesn't do anything like fatal you know like a fatal mistake type uh-huh. of thing okay. you know i don't i'm i'm still the jury's still out on that actually i don't know what my answer is right now but i told you three years ago if you had asked me i would have said no man like give me the give me the correct treatment and that's it you don't have to be I nice think... to but now i'm not sure <laughs> i'm not so sure i, I think this is i think it's a sign no, that we're no, aging no. Um, yeah, as I yeah. got as I got older, I was the exact same way. I was like, you know, what? I don't care. Just make sure like I'm getting better. That's your job. Like you don't yeah. have to be nice to me. Like yeah, I'm okay with it. Uh, now it's like you know if I go see a doctor, and they smile, I'm like oh, <laughs> oh. it's nice to be here. Like it's oh, okay. Let's talk a little, a little bit. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think yeah. so. That yeah. way of thinking is actually it's more in uh is more relevant to like medical because not many doctors own their own practice anymore they work for a medical center or like a hospital center right dentists uh yeah uh unless you're like a like pcp right. i guess pcps yeah. usually right. have their own but yeah. then if you look at dentists it's actually the complete opposite so it's your mentality oh, yeah. like if you want to be super empathetic people will love you however if you're like very good and you you aren't really super emotional and you know how to present your case across you're going to be a very good boss like owning the clinic i think that's what i've noticed if you're super like empathetic and you're very good with the patients you're the reason the pay- clinic's getting money however at the same time if you're too empathetic you're not able to present a proper treatment plan because um for example there's um like let's say a patient has no teeth there's usually three options that we can go for just a traditional conventional denture an overdenture where you, it's a removable denture but supported by um, two implants uh, and then there's something called an all on six uh, or all on four all on eight or like a fixed hybrid prosthesis where you basically take a denture you convert it into 
being retained permanently by six dentures of uh, six implants or four implants or eight implants or whatever and then you later place a zirconia prosthesis on it i mean that's great but insurances don't usually cover the last two options they definitely don't cover they cover the last one but the price range is so different it's one is going to be like what two thousand dollars one's going to be eight to ten thousand dollars and one's going to be twenty five thousand dollars so I think it's, it depends on what you do and what your position is in the clinic in dentistry that kind of necessitates what type of person you are. I don't know. I was thinking, I was, I was a little, I, I was thinking the other way. I thought that if you were, you know, if you were empathetic to your, your patients and, you know, you, you have very good, I guess, socializing skills mm -hmm. in a way, like you, you're a very good people person. I, I feel like that's just going to draw so many more patients in. Like, it's, the people are going to talk about, oh, that guy, like, you know, I had so like, 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 you know, a very good experience uh, when when Dr. Lee was treating me and, like, you know, filling in my cavities or something. Uh, for dentures, I think that's a little, like, maybe that's an extreme case, but for something that's very common, I think cavities oh, yeah, of are course. common. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Right? So if you're doing something like that, I feel like that's when the whole empathy thing comes into play where you can retain patients also spread of uh i guess spread of the clinic word of mouth recommendations in my uh, okay, yeah, okay. yeah i'm just not in my clinic, the clinic since i'm an associate it's it's different like the head doctor um for the or the main boss who does like the implants and stuff like that he's actually very empathetic he's very good with patients uh, i think he does a very good balance like he is very calculating but at the same time he can be he can show empathy to patients but i've seen that's the that's the most I dangerous know, kind no, of but, person, um, man. But I've seen <laughs> I've seen other doctors, um, especially when I was in school, and I've interviewed uh, for jobs for some people, where the head doctor is just literally like house. And he's like, "Well, I need you here. I need you to cut the teeth, and you get paid, and we both walk out of here happy guys." And I was like, uh, "What about the patients?" Like, "Well, the patients. As long as the insurance pays, that's all that matters to me." And that's. Yeah, business-minded, very, very yeah. business-minded <laughs> individual. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, interesting, oh, wow. interesting. Yeah, um, that you know what? That's 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 so weird because taking it back to like uh, you know third being being a doctor in a third world country and the priorities that the doctors have, right? So I I remember one thing that I I cannot forget to this day. This is this is how little we care about. Basically, psychiatrists and I, I'm gonna use this. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little. Psychiatrists are the joke of doctors in Iraq, like the the, the butt of jokes of all doctors in Iraq. It's like, ah, you're a psychiatrist. <laughs> like it's not a real. They don't consider like psychological ailments real disease and that right? it was like and that in the states too. uh and canada and korea yeah. and everywhere like just i don't know like yeah, it's just like get over it right yeah it's like what are you sad boohoo get over it and i remember this one time that really that that image that so my my mother is an OBGYN, right and so they're basically especially in iraq they're the busiest the busiest part of the hospital because we have women. I remember when I was in med school, I met a, a woman. She was 22 years old and she was on oh child number God. five. And so, so you can, you, you, you get an idea of, you know, how busy that place is, and so the department. And so my mother is the head of the department of 
you know, OBGYN and she, they needed beds. And especially in Iraq, we don't have a lot of, the hospital is lacking. That's yeah, it is free, but it's lacking in everything. And so they needed beds to put the women on the, the post-surgery, post whatever, or even women who are going into the surgery, they need beds and there are no mm -hmm. beds. And so, so there were literally women lying on blankets on the floor with like a an IV drip on the, <laughs> their head like this. It was, yeah, so, so I remember my mother used to go and quote unquote borrow beds from the psychology, the psychiatry department. And so she went there and she took one bed and then she took a second bed and then she took the third bed. And then by bed number 10, the head of the psychology department was getting an itch. Like, Doc, can you, like, I think it's enough beds that you took from us. And she's like, it's just, it's just a couple of more beds. And I remember I was in the hospital with her. And I remember that he was grabbing onto, holding the last bed. And he was begging my mother. And he was like, please, Doc, I need one bed to call this a department. So he was like, I need just one bed to call this a department. I can't have no beds in the psychiatry department. And she's like, no, I need it. Boys, get the bed. And they dragged the bed. And I remember seeing him as I left the room, one of the rooms. And he was sitting, standing there like just like dejected, just looking like... And that's and that's how little they care about like basically so, so I don't know I just thought it was funny and that image stuck with me he was in the room just like this just shaking his head what's more <laughs> surprising is that th that means that there were actually no patients oh yeah yeah, yeah. zero yeah and her wow. hospital her hospital is like a it's a kind of it's like a it's a big hospital it's not like a small hospital but there were no patients in the hospital because you know they just patients don't don't go because they think of even even now people think of like psych stuff as like there's like a social stigma surrounding like if you have yeah. a mental disease it's there's like oh no it's like a big social stigma around it yeah and i'm in, in iraq yeah, the hospital where I trained at, it's, it's like the biggest hospital in the country, right? And they had like a whole floor. It was on the 14th floor. And <laughs> I remember one time they had to bolt the windows shut because one of the patients thought they could fly and they couldn't. So <laughs> they just, they couldn't. But, but yeah, but there was, so only in those like large specialized centers, you'll see a lot of psych patients. But like in other places, there aren't that many. There, the people aren't willing to go and admit that they have mm. a mental issue. Yeah, and I think as well, it's um, especially in I, I I would imagine countries like Iraq, um, even yeah. like countries like even Korea, probably like a few years ago, um, maybe like five ten years ago. If if you're if you if if my if I was a, if I was a parent in Korea, and my kid had some sort of psychological like disability i needed you know a psych a, i guess a psychiatric management um there's that stigma like you know it's not it's not just on the kid it's on me it's like oh my kid has this so they you know i would feel less inclined to seek psychiatric help for for my kid yeah. i just be like yeah i like it's, it's a problem i could fix it i could fix it it's just you know it's up in the head it's not real it's not a real disease yeah. Um, but things are getting better now. Uh, in the U.S., I think it was very similar to psych. There was a huge stigma. No one, no one really. I, I remember, like twenty years ago, they someone actually told me, like, they're like, ah, yeah, like so you're applying to psychiatry. I mean, I wasn't around twenty years ago for yeah. this, but I heard from one of my uh, one of my seniors. Uh, 
they actually said like when when they wanted to go into psych and people were just kind of like shaming them like no yeah. like you can't do that it's not real medicine yeah, yeah it's like yeah. what it's not a real thing yeah yeah, yeah but now just... now it's it's different you know we have mental health awareness day um yeah literally 99.9 percent .9 of the population of of streamers on twitch have depression yeah so yeah and yeah. that's what that's uh, especially with, with korean youtubers that's a like i think someone should make a study really because the stories i hear about korean youtubers so my, my my girlfriend is korean by the way that's why i i know so much about korea it's not, i'm not i'm not particularly interested in the country he's a korea boo no yeah it's just i hear about it a lot but there's a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of them that end up taking their own lives and it's, it's it's like it's a sizable it's an it's a significant number of them and so yeah i, th I think people should be a little more aware and should be a little more they should feel like it's okay to come forward if you have a mental issue it's like it's okay it's nothing to be ashamed of if yeah. your stomach hurts you go to your doctor mm. right no i if don't if your mind hurts why don't you go to a doctor it's the i same don't thing. it's the same thing i don't yeah. go to doctors because i think doctors are trying to just <coughs> feed me drugs that have microchips yeah. from the microchips, government yeah yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want to be. I don't want to be monitored twenty four seven. Shape shift, shape shifting doctors are yeah. installing like the COVID vaccine. Yeah, yeah. yeah There's microchips wanna... in it. Yeah. Also, it causes autism. By the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hashtag yeah, Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You need to get me started. No, I have. So I'm. I'm right now. I'm teaching anatomy, and uh, um, so it's a vocational school basically. They're medical assistants. So there are kids straight out of high school or older ladies who are having a change of, of careers, right? And they have to go through this course. And it's, it's amazing. You hear all that misinformation and they adamantly believe that stuff. They adamantly believe that, oh, the, some, some of my students, well, not all of them, but some of my students refuse to take the vaccine because oh, they're trying to kill us all. They are trying to close. And, and and I thought, like, you know, I used to hear about that before, but I didn't think it was real. I was like, yeah, maybe a couple of people who are, you know, on the fringe, they're out there thinking that way. But a large proportion of the, you know, population really do think that. And I was like, who told you? Well, there's this guy on TikTok. I was like, oh, okay. All right. This TikTok yes. guy told you TikTok. the government's trying to kill you. Yeah. TikTok is more important than the people who spent 10 to 15 years researching this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, they, and they really believe it. They really believe it. And you know what's the weird thing? is My aunts my aunts in Iraq believe the same thing. I think they watch Fox News somehow. I don't know how they get it in Iraq, but they, they, they exactly that. Well, I mean, we all know George Bush playing some uh, radio towers there, right? <laughs> there we go. Right. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're picking up Fox News. Only oh Fox my God. News. Oh my God. That, that would actually be. I don't even know. I can't even say funny. That's actually kind of scary. If it's only Fox <laughs> News, man, <laughs> that's actually kind of scary. You know. You, you know. Oh in God. our no, but yeah, whatever. No, no. Oh no. In our clinic, um, there are okay in Georgia. There are a lot of very conservative individuals, and there are very liberal individuals too. So in each operatory, there's a different like news channel, Fox News in one, CNN in one, and then we have that one awkward room with MSNBC in it. We're just like, I don't know what this patient is. Let's just put him in the MS MSNBC room. And then we see a patient coming like, let's put him in the, in the Fox News. And I think there's one time there's a patient who was like, oh, you know, like that stupid Trump is trying to screw up the nation. I was like, oh, he said in a Southern accent too. And he's like, this Trump guy idiot is trying to screw up our nation. And I was like, 
Would you like me to turn to CNN? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, coming from a third world country, this is when I, the day I decided I'm not gonna be interested. Well, not not interested, but I'm not gonna believe a single word a politician says. Not a single word. I'm done with politics. They all, they don't mean what they're saying. Is we're we're rated eighth in um, corruption in the world. I think eighth. Iraq is the eighth most corrupt country in the world. And so one day the government decided to do a, uh, what do they call it? They called it a transparency campaign where we are going to, you know, go over all these rich government officials and we're gonna, we're gonna weed them all out. And so they made an anti-corruption committee. That's the anti-corruption committee. One week into it, turned out the anti-corruption <laughs> committee was taking bribes. It turns out the anti-corruption committee was corrupt. And I was like, you know what? This is over. It's not, I'm not even going to be, I'm not going to do politics anymore. It's not going to work. Oh, man. Never. So I actually looked up while you were speaking the most corrupt countries in the world, right? Yeah. So according to, I can't find 2022, but. I think there was one from 2017. There was actually, That's I was looking at one from 2021. Okay. 2021. So this was literally last year. What do you think is the me. number one most corrupt country in the world? I think it was actually it was an African country. It was Iraq. I think. <laughs> was it Iraq? Yeah. <laughs> Iraq number one. Let's go. Let's go. Yes. Yeah. And then number two is Colombia. Number three is Mexico. Number yeah. two Colombia. Number three Mexico. Number four Brazil. Number five Russia. Surprised that actually Russia is kind of there. Where's North Korea? It's not, oh my god, okay. Number six, Guatemala. Number seven, uh, Kazakhstan. Number eight, Lebanon. Number nine, El Salvador. And number 10, Azerbaijan. Wow. Champions. Huh. The least Champions. corrupt countries in the world. I'm actually curious about this. The least. Oh gosh, this one. page is like super slow. The least corrupt countries. I'll just have to go to all the way to the bottom. Holy crap. Wow. Huh. I mean, I'm not surprised, actually. What is it? The least corrupt country. And these are all tied. So uh, it's probably Denmark, tied. Sweden. Oh, close. Denmark is one of them. Finland and New Zealand. New Ze okay, New Zealand. And, and, then, and then above that is another three-way tie between Norway, Sweden, and mm -hmm. Singapore. There you go. And then Switzerland and the Netherlands. Like, yeah, or the Icelandic countries. Yeah, it does. It doesn't even surprise me. Yeah, doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. Canada is uh, up on the list too. Canada's like what top fifteen? It looks like. Huh? Who would have thought? United States is. It looks like I, I'm not. I can't. I don't see the numbers. I can't count because it's just a table without any numbers. But it looks like it's top twenty-five. Oh really? He's corrupt. That we know of. That we know of. Champions. Champions. I am surprised. So, so South Korea is just, uh, what? One, two, three, four, five. Five ranks lower in least corrupt than the United States. And we know South Korea's government is really corrupt. And South Korea is corrupt as fuck. Didn't you guys just have a, an election? Like a new president came in like a couple of days ago? Uh, was it? Oh, it, it must have been. Yeah, I yeah, actually yeah. don't follow the news, so I do not know. 
I, I think you guys did. Yeah, you have a new president. But I do know a few years ago, we, uh, like, you know, the, the, uh, the country, the people of South Korea literally kicked out, uh, the, the first yeah, your prime even, minister wasn't the first it or something? female okay, but she was she was bribing yeah, president president prime minister i mean yeah, yeah she was she was doing shit wrong and then later on like you know like things caught up with her wasn't but... she also the yeah. daughter of another yeah. president yep yeah. yep that and yeah. and that guy was corrupt as fuck too <laughs> well i guess you guys <laughs> thought she would be different like <laughs> i mean she was what? she was pumping all the money to that corrupt uh church what's it called um uh, I think it's like a, it's basically like they call it a church, but it's like a cult, and the, it was it was established by your father oh. too. And so like a lot of people from that uh, that cult were getting like slush funds and stuff like that through like shell companies oh, and really? stuff like that. And... Oh man, that's another thing that don't even get me started. That the whole religion thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you actually one story that uh, it's, it has to do with medicine. Uh, I was sixth year. I was like last year. We're done. This is we're doing our rounds, and I was doing my rounds in uh, uh, pediatrics. And we had this patient, this kid. He was like six years old. He's a really chubby, cute-looking kid. Who's like I enjoyed seeing him every day. But he had diabetes, and I don't know one day he. I think he had like he was in a diabetic coma or something like diabetic ketoacidosis, some something like that, and he was in a coma. And I remember seeing his parents outside of the room talking to this bearded waste of oxygen. You know, one of those, what do they call them? Imam mullahs, you know, the Muslim cleric type of things, people. And he was like, he had his beard. He had like, you know, imagine an evil Muslim caricature guy from like Family Guy or something. Like, that's what he looked like, right? That's really what he looked like. <laughs> And he was talking to them, and I, 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 I was like, I have to hear this. So I, I admit, I eavesdropped a little bit, and he said to them, uh, he said, you know, this is this is a test from God, and people in the hospital they can't do anything for him. Only God can cure him. What I suggest you guys do, and I think you should do it now today, take him out of the hospital, and put him at home and pray. And if God cures him he cures him if he doesn't it was meant to be and he left and i was fuming i was like well, huh i went to talk to the parents i was like i'm sorry excuse me i was listening in to to you guys talk to this guy this charlatan i was like who is he like is he does he have a medical background was he like like at least one of those like herbal whatever you know pseudo medicine stuff and they're like oh no no he's just a like a wise guy in the neighborhood we all go to him for you know for for for, for advice and i was like well he, is he does he does he he went to college and they're like oh i think i don't even think he went to like school or high school or something he's just he's just a wise guy i was like what gives him the right to give you medical advice in a hospital like what gives him the right and, you know, I was like, are you guys, what are you guys going to do? It's like, are, you're not going to take the kid out, right? You're not going to discharge the kid. And they're like, oh, no, no, we'll keep him here for a few days and see what happens. The next day, the kid wakes up and he's fine and he's laughing again and there's nothing <laughs> wrong with him. And I swear to God, next day, it was like just some some simple thing. I don't know what it was. like, But he was up. And it, I, I always keep thinking, like, I keep imagining, like, if they had actually listened to that guy and... <laughs> the kid would have god knows what would have happened maybe he would have died just because oh that guy decided it was okay to speak on behalf of god and say to them uh, he's okay just just get him out of the hospital 
right? And there's a lot of that that goes on in Iraq and I think in a lot of third world countries, all these faith healers and and herbal remedy type of whatever charlatans that and a lot of people believe in that and, and who, a lot of people who invited to that go guy that. into the hospital mm-hmm. who invited that guy into the hospital he just walked and in by himself they, he came so no so in iraq you can actually go up to the hospital room like as a family visit type of thing right and so he they invited him apparently to come see the child bless him or whatever all that nonsense and so he was he actually was up there in the in the room with them it was visitation time okay okay and so i was like well, how would you how why 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 does his opinion matter why yeah i mean, I mean it's like chaplains in in, at, in hospitals though i guess that you know chaplains no oh, i mean it's yeah. kind of the same principle but i think so th- that's the thing my my uh, so i'm religious but uh, like um yeah. My gripe with it is there's, you know, there's different sects of uh, religion. And for me, I'm a logical person. Uh, so I, I'd like the, um, so what's called non-denominational Christian. Like I, the reason I like that was because they don't say like stuff like this. Of course they say like, oh, you know, pray to God and God will, if it's, it will help if it's meant to be. And yeah. then if it's not, it, this is all a test from God. But churches say the same thing too. But the thing is like, uh, what like my, the churches I've been to always they always say is this. However, it does not mean don't do anything. God is using these people as instruments, yeah. and what do they do? They're trying their best. That's how it was taught to me, and that's why I was like, oh, you know what? I can get by behind this way of thinking. I think that's a, that's a great way to like kind of encourage someone when they're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I think that's what a logical right. person would think too, right? That's what a logical person. But sometimes there are people who take it to the extreme, especially in my. Like in my country, in my religion, there are some certain people who believe, literally believe that the 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 cure all ailments can be found in mm-hmm. the holy book. Right? That's they literally think, and they're not saying that metaphorically. They're not just saying, "Oh, it makes you feel better" or whatever. No, no, no. They literally think that the cure for all ailments is in a book that was written or inspired or whatever like 1400 years ago right and i think that's like the extreme case of it and i think a lot of people call for a separation of church and state i think in our countries at least third world countries there should be a separation of science and <laughs> and church like it's like medicine is medicine right. right there no one is telling you that there you shouldn't you know like prayer gives you hope prayer gives you strength yes it does absolutely and that's psychological mental Fortitude is important when you're when you're going through an ailment, right? That feeling of faith right. is important. But just like you said, you shouldn't be completely reliant on 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 faith to kind of like that. Like, I've never been so mad in my life. I think than I was at that that guy in that particular moment. Like 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 who? I just wanted to grab him from his beard and like who told you you can give medical <laughs> advice to these poor parents like you just wanted to drag him out by the beard i don't know <laughs> that's that's kind of one of the beef i have with uh some <clears throat> some religions i can't i'm not gonna say all religions but some yeah. religions they seem to prey on the most vulnerable right yeah. so then you have these patients or not you have these families of patients and they're desperate they're like you know they're desperately wanting their loved one to get better and then you have this one guy he's like he sees it like he just smells it like he's a freaking hyena he walks over yeah. and he's like, well, did you know if you join my religion, 
your like God will heal your kittens. Like, oh my yeah, God, yeah, Jesus Christ. Like those, there are some bad people, but I do see the power and and praying and you know lifting up your spirits yeah. during that time to help you move. I kind of like to help you go through that <clears throat> difficult time, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's rough. But yeah, just don't be completely. And they make a lot of money on like off of off of poor. You know, unsuspecting people. They make a lot of I money. I mean, that's all religion, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Like, some some, some forms of organized religion have, have taken it too far. But, like, just stay out of the hospital. Stay out of the hospital. Let the people who know what they're doing do what they can. No, I, right? I, I think, like, coming into the hospital is okay, too, as long as they don't do what that yeah. guy did. And just give oh, yeah, medical yeah. advice, right? If they're there to yeah. pray and help pray and it's making them feel better... Sure, yeah. I mean, go for it, but don't say stupid shit like, you know, rip that IV line out of him. That thing is killing him. We yeah. need God. We don't need anything else like that. That is poison. Yes. Oh God. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 that, that kind of stuff will piss. Actually, me off, that too. that leads me to a, a follow up question. Um, what was um the most interesting like experience you had in your clinical life? I think one of the most interesting, at least. I'm not going to go with anything sad or depressing. There is this one person. It's a little sad, but he had a weird delusion. He was in the psych department. And I, I keep bringing up psych because I was I was going to go into psych. I was hoping to go into psych before I had a change of heart. But this guy, he believed adamantly that he was from the Netherlands. Huh. It's a simple what, thing. What ethnicity it? was he though? But... He, he's from Iraq. Oh, so he's never been out. Like he's never traveled outside of the country, but he was adamant that he's from the <laughs> Netherlands. And sir, like, but you're not. You've got your, you know, you've got your ID here, your whatever. And no matter what you said to him, he refused to admit that he was from anywhere other than the Netherlands. And I think when we dug deeper into his backstory. It turns out that this started like about a year ago, I think. Uh, his daughter died in an explosion. There was like an exploding car or whatever, bomb car, car bomb, yeah. whatever they called it. And his daughter died. And that like stirred up something in him. And it was like a, a shock or something. And it kind of, he it developed into that delusion because I think it was his neighbors before that they had immigrated to the Netherlands, I think. And so in his mind, the Netherlands was like an escape, like a, a safe haven type of thing. And so and so he was like adamant, I am from the Netherlands. No, that is sad. It's kind of I'm hard pressed to find any stories from my medical life that aren't sad. It's given I, up that I like I did, you know, my my medical, you know, education in a period of time that was very turbulent in the country. And so like, I, I saw some stuff, man, but yeah, that's one of the like less sad ones, honestly. And I don't know what happened to him. I just finished the rotation and like, and, and the, the rounds, like it was just three weeks of psych we did and that I never saw him again. Yeah, that, that, that actually reminds me of a, of a psych case that I had the very first. So one of the, my first clinical experience when I was uh, when I was doing clinical rotations as a student, my very first clinical rotation was actually in psych, right? So you know, first time seeing a patient like in person, yeah. and being talking to them, like seeing an actual patient, not like some, some textbook thing, not some actors pretending yeah. to have something. These are like real people. Um, I remember 
I was with my attending and she told me that there's this new patient that came in. It was in the emergency room and she wanted me to go take the history and just kind of figure out what's going on, come up with a uh, come up with some differentials and report back to her. So, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm an idiot. I don't pay attention to a lot of different things that people say during like those like those HR training, not HR training, but like those hospital policy training kind of stuff. I don't pay attention to that shit. Like I'm I'm an idiot. I I, I usually fall asleep. Um and one of the things was like, if you're going to go into a room and this is common knowledge, by the way. So I'm just that that's why I keep calling myself stupid, because this is common knowledge. If you're going into a room to see a patient and the patient is female and you're going in there as a male, right, assuming that there's only two genders, then you you should have someone else in there with you to to keep yourself safe from any sort of like, you know, allegations made against you. Um, obviously, I didn't. Right. So I yeah. went in there absentmindedly, just went in, knocked on the door started talking to her um she so she she was extremely delusional um she seemed to be a little paranoid um but the one thing that really freaked me out is she has she's like oh i have this itch in my brain right and you know what she did she got her pinky finger right it, it looked like one of those coke pinky finger fingernails like it was really long like where they put coke powder and stuff like that and she got that finger and she just shoved it and eventually the finger oh, disappeared God. right oh. and then i'm just like sitting there just watching like what the hell and then and what she pulls it out and then she's like i can't reach it oh my god, <laughs> oh my god. right and oh later on god. And, and and that's that's the most memorable part i actually i i'm i'm, I'm time jumping here so when i first went in uh, she just asked me, like, like, what are you doing here? And she kept on calling me Wolf, right? He's like, Wolf? Wolf. He's like, he's like I, told, I didn't tell you to come in here. I, like, I told you I'll meet you outside. Like, what, are you, what are you doing here? And I was, like, so surprised, right? And then I just say, Mel, I'm not Wolf. And then, she, uh, you know, like, just explained who I am and whatever. And she kind of, like, was like, okay, sorry, I thought you were somebody else. And then she did the whole sticking up the finger thing. And then she went back to calling me a wolf. And then she started yeah. screaming, saying the wolf is trying to rape me. Oh my god! Yeah, and now I'm just sitting. There, I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> right? Oh my and the, god! The, and, and I didn't close the door, right? And then, the, then the room was one of those rooms that had like these large windows, so everyone can kind of see what's going on, right? But yeah. like, you know, someone heard someone heard a patient yelling at the top of her lungs, like someone's trying to rape me, right? And then you see all these like nurses and like doctors just walk in. It's like, is everything okay? And then I got a little slap on the wrist because I yeah. went in there by myself, but. um yeah, it was it was a very traumatic experience for me. Imagine being like this like very frosh, innocent medical student. medical student. Yeah. Yeah. Going to be so excited to see my first patient. Only to have all of that happen to me. No wonder oh I'm not in the God. clinic right now, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that was that was tra that was traumatizing. I've never seen someone stick a finger up her entire nose. In an attempt to scratch your brain. By the way, you can't reach your brain through your nose like that. Right? Yeah, kids, well, I mean, kids, don't put your entire not with your finger at least, your right? Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, that actually that actually reminds me of a story. It didn't happen to me. It happened to my friend. Speaking of an itch, I I had well in the you know the head area, but he 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 was in the ER five o'clock in the morning, and there's a patient who comes in every day with a with a new complaint. Like he's just it's. Uh, Every day, some ridiculous thing, right? And they, so it's morning prayer. Morning prayer is like five o'clock-ish around that time. And so every day after morning prayer, he goes and prays and he drops by the emergency room 
to get like to give a new complaint. And he, one day I, I was talking to my friend on the phone. He's like, this guy comes in yesterday and he sits down and he's like, <clears throat> my hair hurts. And they're like, excuse me. He said, my hair hurts. They're like, so like, like your scalp hurts. He's like, no, no, my hair, like right here, the tip of my hair hurts. And we're like, sir, but that's like, you, you can't, your hair can't hurt. It's not, it's not a thing. Like, he's like, I don't know what to tell him. And so I, I he, he went and talked to like one of the senior seniors there. And he, he said to him, yeah, we know, we know this guy. He like kind of comes in every day with a new thing. And the guy wouldn't leave until you write him a prescription. Like he wouldn't leave because he's like, no, you guys didn't do anything for me. I was like, okay, so what did you do? And he's like, I wrote him a prescription. I said, what did you write him? He said, I just wrote head and shoulders. And I gave it to him and he, let, he wrote him head and shoulders shampoo. And he gave it to him oh and he just God. left. Oh my <laughs> God. We had, we, we had this patient. So it's about, you know, malingering patients and how it's like, you shouldn't just say, oh, sh they're pretending or, oh, it's just probably nothing or whatever. So we were doing neuro and we had a patient and she was complaining of a sweet taste in her mouth just the sweetness in her mouth and the doctor was like he was like one of them just like first second year and he's he just said you know what it's probably not it's probably nothing it's probably nothing she's like okay and as she was leaving the attending came in and he's like oh what is wrong what is wrong with the what is wrong with her and she's like oh there's a sweet taste in my mouth and she's like, oh, what, since when? And she's like, oh, it's been like so-and-so. Have you felt anything else with the sweet taste? She's like, yeah, I've had like these headaches that don't seem to go away. It's just days and days of headaches. And I have a little bit of a blurry vision with it and whatever. Immediately he sent her to imaging and it turns out she had a tumor that had borrowed through the base of her skull. And what she was tasting in her mouth was cerebrospinal fluid that was dripping through the hole that the tumor made into the back of her throat. And that, and that guy just told her, it's okay, it's probably nothing, you should just go away. Actually, she said, I have like a little bit, I feel like I have like a sore throat or something. Mm -hmm. And so it was dripping, actually not into her throat, it was dripping like, in, it was borrowed through one of the sinuses, I think. And it was dripping like, you know, post-nasal drip back into yeah. her mouth and it was oh, sweet. God. And so these are like two examples of like one patient whose hair hurts and it's nothing. And one patient who has a sweet taste in her mouth and it's a tumor. So there you go. Wow. These are, I think some of the most memorable things. And the, my, my takeaway from that is that I didn't, I would have never imagined that cerebral spinal fluid tastes sweet. Yeah. Like it would have never crossed my mind to think that was something else. I was trying to, I was, while I was listening to your story, I was like, oh, and I can't remember for the life of me because it's been forever since I looked at non-cancer yeah. diagnoses. But yeah. that's why I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, that's yeah. why I'm a dentist, guys. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know. I forgot it all it's completely. Easy, yeah, so we look, man. You can't remember everything. It's impossible. There's no way. Yeah, I. So that's. I remember that was the one time that I looked at a doctor and I was impressed. I was like, this guy knows. Yeah, this guy knows his stuff. <laughs> This guy, how did he catch it? <laughs> how many patients has he seen that had yeah, like, that you know, dripping, that, so. dripping CSF into their, into their throat so that they yeah. can taste it? That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think, um, at this point it might be a good time to, uh, to close up. We had a pretty 
we had a we had like you know, we covered a large number of topics yeah. uh sidetracked ah. a bit but i think that's okay well then uh so since albert's a little boy and he has to sleep a little early we are gonna we're gonna you know end our stream here we had a lot of fun talking to so haven learning about his experiences in his life i guess and yeah he's uh stay tuned for more because he's coming back we're coming back I don't have anything else to say. I'm not very good at talking. I just kind of ramble and hope that someone cuts me off. But these motherfuckers aren't doing it. So, yeah. See you guys all next time. And Peace. Have Adios. A good one. Until then.